From the banks of the Colorado River in Lake Mead to the homes and businesses in Southern Nevada, welcome to Water Smarts, the podcast pumping from the heart of Las Vegas, where we engage with the experts who keep the water flowing throughout Southern Nevada. I'm Bronson Mack. And I'm Crystal Zelke. From how we treat it, deliver it, use it, protect it, and conserve it, the Water Smarts podcast is all about water in Southern Nevada. We hope to make you a little smarter about the one thing that keeps us all connected, water. Hey, Crystal, how are you today? I'm good, Bronson. Weather's getting warmer. Well, you know, Vegas is <laughs> unpredictable here in the Valley. You get, I think as of today, my watch says it's 79 degrees outside, which is awesome. Perfect. I, mean, I prefer 68 degrees. That's my ideal temperature. As long as it's sunny and not windy, 68 is it for me. But it's still unpredictable. Just the other day, it was cold and I think it's supposed to cool off again this weekend. So it's up and down. Yeah, that's kind of the way spring goes, right? You kind of get this false summer, if you will, where you're like, oh, okay, here, it's starting to get warm. And then boom, it gets cold again. You're like, oh no, second winter. You know, anybody who's lived here long enough knows that. Also, sometimes the winds pick up. That can create some challenges, especially with your irrigation system. But this is springtime. It is the time in which we can begin to increase our landscape watering in accordance with the seasonal watering restrictions three days a week in the spring. That's what we do here in March and April, your three assigned watering days. But one thing we always tell people, don't just go from watering one day a week in winter and then go straight to three. Your landscape doesn't really need that. You can ramp up your watering. So we encourage you to add another watering day in March as those temperatures continue to increase as we get through the second winter, if you will, and those weather patterns begin to stabilize. You can then add that third day, all in preparation for going to summer watering, which does not begin until May 1st. So with that, and knowing that this is springtime, we're going to be talking a little bit today about ways in which to protect your landscape. Because joining us here today on the Water Smarts Podcast, we've got the experts from Star Nursery, Paul No, better known as Dr. Q, and Joey Lynn Watt, who's a certified arborist, here to talk to us today about how to keep that landscape healthy. Dr. Q and Joey Lynn, welcome to the Water Smarts Podcast. Thank you, Crystal and Bronson. We're glad to be here. Well, we are so glad that you are here. Star Nursery has been an outstanding partner with the community and with the Southern Nevada Water Authority over the years. Really helps to get the word out to the community about watering restrictions, obviously the right kinds of plants that fit for our environment. But before we get into all of that kind of detail, why don't we just start and give our listeners a little bit of sense of who both of you are. Dr. Q, can we start with you? Can you just share with our listeners a little bit about your background, your time here in Southern Nevada and your expertise? Well, sure. That goes back quite a ways. I actually started into horticulture when I was 15 years old. Started working as a carry-out and water boy at the local little nursery in Southern California. And I got so interested in plant material and as much as I could learn by watering plants and reading signs, and I just fell in love with learning as much as I could. When I was 19 years old, I actually took the California Certified Nurseryman's Exam which was a pretty tough exam uh, to get credit for in California. And I actually passed it my first time. I stayed working for that nursery all through high school and 
learned as much as I could. I uh, actually got to where I was managing quite a few nurseries from there up to uh, Northern California, where I worked for a grower that grew native plants and then made the move to Las Vegas. I've been here for almost 45 years. So I've learned a lot about the desert. I just continued trying to learn as much as I could about it, taking any classes, studying material. And I feel pretty comfortable with the knowledge that I've acquired for most of our desert plant material and how to care for it. More than a half century of experience working with plants and working within the nursery and and horticulture industry. Very impressive. Obviously, Southern Nevada is benefiting from your expertise and experience. Joey Lynn, how about you? Would you just give our listeners a brief overview of your background and experience in the same industry? Yes, I'm born and raised here in Las Vegas. So this kind of climate I've always known, although growing up, we didn't grow anything but thickets in our lawns. So coming into the nursery industry started as me coming in as a salesperson at the Tropicana location. And I worked there for a few years and the whole purpose was that customer service. Then I quickly got the bug and started seeing the bigger picture and the importance of what we were doing at Star Nursery and the beauty that we were creating. And Paul was uh, looking for some support on the administrative side. So I came in to support with Paul and Dr. Q's house calls. At that point, I said, I got to know more, learn more, do more started working with the University of Nevada Cooperative Extension, where I became a certified master gardener. And in that process, it sparked something in me to want to become an arborist. In 2019, I certified, and I'm pretty proud to admit that just like Paul, I passed first time out as well, uh, which is a really great thing to accomplish. And then just being in the business with Paul, doing the house calls and experience of being at people's homes and helping them with practical application and really just trying to make their lives a little bit better. We swoop in and try to rescue them if possible. And I've loved it. It's been amazing. And this is just the beginning of what I know I'm meant to be doing. I love it. You guys are both straight A students. You both have a wealth of knowledge to share with us today, and I've been fortunate to work with you as part of the Water Authority's public access television shows. I know that you know the Water Authority is all about water conservation. Our seasonal watering restrictions are designed to save water, but also keep landscapes healthy. We want people to have nice landscapes with trees and flowers and shrubs and all the things that make them so great here in Southern Nevada. Watering restrictions allow watering up to three days in the spring and fall, one day only in the winter and up to six days in the summer. But even though you can water more in those warmer months, it doesn't really mean you need to, especially if you have a drought tolerant landscape. Some listeners assume more water will keep their landscapes alive, but that's not really the case here in the desert. Dr. Q, can you explain why watering an established landscape only a couple days in the spring and one day a week in the winter is fine and may actually help your plants thrive all year long? Yes, and that's a very true statement. A lot of people think that they have to keep the soil wet all the time in the hot part of the summer in order to keep their plants looking good. But that's not the case in most varieties of plants. They do not like that soil surface wet all the time. And the biggest reason why is there's two things that roots need to survive. They need air and they need water. 
And if you keep the top layer of soil too wet, water is occupying all the pore space in the soil and air can't get down to the roots. So what ends up happening is that you suffocate the roots because air can't get to them. And that's when you run into problems with root rot and decline on plants when they get too much water. And that's why it's important to realize that when you irrigate, if you only irrigate the top few inches of soil, like four to six inches, that's the layer that is most affected by evaporation in the hot months. So that water is going to be sucked out of the ground much quicker, thereby drying out the roots even faster. So the deeper you can get the water, the longer it's going to stay in the soil, the cooler it is down there. And also, it's going to get the roots inclined more to grow deeper and not stay near the surface where they're dried out easier by the sun. So it's much, much healthier for most plants other than very shallow rooted plants like grass lawns, like maybe some of the annual flowers or vegetables and herbs that have very shallow roots. Those kind of things will need more often water. But for most trees and shrubs, the longer you can water, the less frequently, the better off the plants are. Rather than watering every day for five or 10 minutes, you're better off watering every two or three days, even in the hot weather, for longer periods so that you get that entire root zone nice and moist. And then allow the uh, top surface to dry out a little bit so that air can get down to the roots as well. Great advice. Those established landscapes really like to have that watering take place over a longer period of time, allow that water to get deep down into the soil and then reach those roots. That's a lot different, as you just indicated, from how we irrigate with spray irrigation on our lawns, where we can do shorter bursts of water over just a couple of minutes, whereas these drip systems that deliver that water directly to the root zone need to run for a longer period of time, allowing that water to absorb down there. We have a lot of people here in Southern Nevada that are going to be making some changes to their landscapes, maybe adding some new plants, maybe replacing that grass with some new trees and some new shrubs. Joey Lynn, let me ask you, we're still having some cool days. Before it gets too hot, what should people be doing in their yards with their landscapes, their trees and their plants to prepare for these hot summers that we have here in Southern Nevada? The very first thing I would recommend everybody do in preparation is run their system on a manual run. Take a look around. Make sure that everything is functioning. Make sure that every tree and shrub has a functioning emitter. If not, do the repairs now and take a look at the soil. If the soil looks really dry, loosen it up. Add a nice cover of mulch. Now's the time to get that soil around the tree able to absorb the water. So if we just turn on the irrigation and have it run for 60 minutes, three times a week, there is no way that this soil is going to be able to absorb it. So we start out by ramping it up slowly, increasing the time that they run. We recommend 60 minutes first thing in the morning because that is what the emitters are rated. They have a rating on them for 
drip emitters, and that is gallons per hour. That's what those little GPH stand for. So if you have two gallon per hour emitters, run them for 60 minutes, you can quickly do the math to see if that tree or shrub is getting enough water in that time. Going back to the long, deep drip irrigation, when the water drips out of those little emitters, it may not look like much, but it's pressing in one little spot and it's drip, drip, drip. And time allows that water to push itself down deeper into the soil. Depending on the kind of soil you have will depend on how fast it drains, how wide it goes, or if it just sits in pools on top. So that's why checking it visually is the very, very most important thing. Adding some mulch, adding emitters where it's needed is what you can do right now. And that's going to accomplish a lot instead of just jumping right into three days a week when we're still cool and that soil doesn't have the opportunity to absorb it. So just a quick follow-up there, you referenced about 60 minutes for that watering, and that's for your drip system. Those are on trees and plants, right? Okay. Absolutely. And then then for your grass, obviously, you're watering that in minutes because just like you said, those drip emitters are putting out gallons per hour. Our pop-up sprinklers for our grass, they put out gallons per minute. So a big difference in the amount of water that gets distributed through those different types of irrigation systems. That is correct. And remember also with the sprinkler system that is for lawn, that is high pressure. So a lot is coming out at a very short periods of time. With lawn, be very conservative. We always recommend alongside with the Southern Nevada Water Authority to do a soaking first. Let that water absorb into the roots of the lawn and come back again and do another four minutes. So absolutely, lawns have a high pressure sprinkler system that runs in minutes. Drip irrigation has a pressure reducer that causes the water to come out at a lower pressure and it drips in one spot. And those are gallons per hour. Good information. Everyone needs to understand the difference between sprinklers and drip, and you don't run them the same or the same amount of time. Joey Lynn, I was on the Star Nursery website looking at seasonal gardening and landscaping tips. As you said, being conservative can help your landscape with the watering, and that applies to pruning as well. Sometimes a little nip and tuck is all you need. You don't need to cut back a plant immensely or the tree to the stalk. Can you explain why a plant needs pruning and how does that actually help the plant? Let's talk about trees first. Pruning for trees is very, very important in creating wind space in the canopy. When you have trees, especially here in Southern Nevada, we have a lot of desert adapted trees. They grow very fast and they have a large canopy and you need to thin that out so that when our dry summer winds come, the wind can pass through. What happens in these very, very fast growing trees, the canopy gets real full. And when the wind comes through in our dry heat, those branches and twigs, they snap and they break. So pruning trees, cleaning out the canopy, anything that is broken or rubbing, that's the first priority to do that. For shrubs, anything that has been damaged by the previous season, 
And then in the fall, we do that with our dead branches. You cut those off, but we don't do that in the high temperature either. We wait until we start to cool. We remove anything that's been damaged and that will stimulate new growth within the shrub. This is great information because pruning is something that is very important, but if it's not done properly, it can actually provide some damage to the plants. And Dr. Q, can you just give us a couple more pruning strategies and techniques? Certainly on trees, a good recommendation from most arborists, you never want to remove more than about 15% of the total canopy in one growing season. And the main reason for that is if you eliminate too much of that canopy, the tree cannot produce as much food for itself through photosynthesis as it can with that larger canopy. So you don't want to prune too much of it off at one time. Do it in in segments. If you've got a huge tree that you just want to reduce the size on, do a little bit each year. Thinning out the canopies has two very, very beneficial things that it does for the tree. One, it allows more sunlight in the center so that the leaves can photosynthesize and stay green. Otherwise, if it gets too dense a shade in there, those leaves are not going to be able to photosynthesize and they are going to turn yellow and brown and fall off. The second thing is it allows the wind to pass through the tree canopy much, much easier. So by thinning it out, it allows that wind to pass through so that you don't have that loss of major branches because of wind damage. Based on that, as I think about some of the trees that I've seen around town and have seen obviously some pretty significant pruning that has happened to some of these trees, almost to the point to where you have a trunk that comes up, you have some major large branches that come up off of that trunk, but then after that, it's all been cut off. There aren't any leaves, there aren't any small branches. Is that an appropriate technique of pruning? Is that even considered pruning? Normally, it is not a very good way to prune. A lot of times, topping of trees where you cut off a large portion of the canopy right off to a huge branch, it destroys the central leader of some trees that have a a central leader and all the branches grow horizontally off of that leader. By cutting that leader, what you do is destroy that single stem and it produces multiple stems on the top. It works on some trees, but as a general rule, we don't recommend that. Another thing that people do, and you'll see a lot of it on some of the older mulberry trees that we have in town, is they will prune them back to what looks like a big knuckle. They will just cut all of the smaller branches off of that knuckle. Then you will get a whole bunch of new sprouts come out very concentrated around that knuckle that grow out every year, and then they cut it back to that knuckle again. That's called pollarding, and that's not a a technique that we normally recommend either. It doesn't produce good, strong, sturdy scaffolding for the branches to grow on. So I know fruit trees are supposed to be pruned in the winter before the fresh growth sprouts up in the spring. But Joey Lynn, what about other trees and plants? Is it too late to prune those now that we are in the spring season? Outside of anything that is blooming to give you a flower or a fruit. Yes, you can continue to prune and prepare for the spring growth. 
But if it is a fruit tree that you are looking for fruit, remember all of those buds at the tips are flowers that are potential fruit. So we don't want to do any pruning on them right now. We also don't want to do any pruning on, let's say, our Texas Rangers or even the oleanders if they haven't been pruned already. This is not the time to do it now because right now they're focusing all of their energy on flowers. If it's something that is an evergreen, you can continue to prune, clean out the shrubs, get anything that is diseased or dead or broken. And since they're evergreens, they're always putting on new growth. So yes, there is still time for your evergreens. So besides pruning, I know that soil preparation and fertilizing are also key factors to keeping your landscape and your garden healthy. Dr. Q, can you give us some tips on fertilizing in the spring? Is it too late for that now? And what other soil preparations should be done on a yard in the spring? Let's start with a garden. Right now is a great time to start your warm season vegetables or herbs, which can be grown pretty much year round. The seasonal vegetables for gardens come in two categories. There's warm season, tomatoes, peppers, squash, melons. Now's the time to get those in the ground. You can still have a little bit of a time now to mix a lot of organic matter into your planter beds to loosen up the soil, add more uh, organics to condition the soil, and get those plants in right now. That's a good time to plant them for the warm season crops. For shrubs and trees, now is a great time to plant. They're just starting their growing season. You definitely want to condition the soil. When you dig holes, use planting mixes or compost. Mix about half and half with the soil that you dig out of the holes. That gives them a transition zone of both the native soil and the uh, more organic rich soil that they were actually grown in by the producers. And if you give them a good transition zone, it makes it easier for them to make that conversion. As far as fertilization, You can use starter fertilizers when you first plant. That's a fairly mild fertilizer solution. Uh, You don't want anything too heavy that might stress out the plants because it'll just increase the chance for possible transplant shock. You're best waiting for those roots to expand a little bit more before you actually use a heavier fertilizer on them. Uh, I also can just attest there are many fertilizers to meet your needs at Star Nursery. Joey Lynn, let me ask you about insects, because sometimes we hear, obviously, that we need to make sure that we've got flowering plants for the pollinators, for the bees, for the hummingbirds, for the butterflies. And we also know that some of these insects, uh, you know, can also maybe be damaging to some of our plants. So can you just talk a little bit about insects and kind of how they play into your garden or your landscape? Absolutely. We have beneficial insects. Those are the insects that come into our store. We sell them. Ladybugs are probably everyone's favorite. They eat about 2,000 aphids a day. Another beneficial insect are our prey mantis. We sell those as well, but they're different seasons. Early season spring are the ladybugs. They come out very early. They will attack any plant that has aphids or mites or anything that leaves a honeydew. The bad insects that leave honeydew they are actually sucking on the leaf and they are excreting what's a sticky substance on the leaves. If you have a heavy infestation, you will see lots of ants in the area. 
beneficial insects are usually on the tops. Harmful insects lay their eggs on the back leaf and they leave evidence. You can actually turn them over and see lots of little eggs. You can see lots of feces left behind as well. Caterpillars do a lot of damage. They will come out at night, eat lots and lots of leaves, sometimes leave behind just stems. But you come out in the morning and you look and you go, oh my gosh, I don't see anything. And it's because they're down in the soil waiting for to get cooler and they come out. So if we do have to use an insecticide to lower the population of a damaging insect, we recommend that you spray or you use these products in the evening when the bees have calmed down. There's a lot of products out there that call themselves bee-friendly. Every label for insecticides actually has a bee warning on the label so that the consumer can feel comfortable about understanding the consequences to the bees if they use it. But we like to approach insects in what we call an integrated pest management approach. We want to use the beneficial insects to control the population. You're never going to get rid of a population of insect. That's not good for anybody. So if you use a spray that coats a leaf that gets down into the cuticle to kill the leaf-sucking insects, it's also going to be damaging your beneficial insects. So we do recommend that when you have an infestation that's really, really bad, that you do go and use an insecticide, but after you've tried ladybugs and praying mantis in your yard. Now, the thing about the ladybugs, ladybugs only stick around in landscape that has insects. So if you get ladybugs and you release them at night as they're calm, you put them under a shrub that has insects on them, You open up your container, just leave the container open underneath the shrub. Those ladybugs will come out in the morning and start to feast. If they leave your yard, then they have done their job. There's nothing more in your yard that they need to eat. So they move on to the next yard. Same as the praying mantis. When we sell the praying mantis in the stores, there's about 200 eggs in each cocoon. And each little container has a couple cocoons. They hatch in the summertime when it's very warm. When they come out, you may see lots of baby praying mantis and then all of a sudden they're all gone. Well, don't fret. That means that your yard is pretty free from aphids and they've moved on to the the next yard. So they're doing their job across the community. This is so fascinating. I feel like we could do a whole podcast on bugs. I know. I'm enjoying it too. Dr. Q, let me ask you this, because I really have a couple of plants in my landscape that struggle. I don't know what the problem may be, but, you know, some of the leaves started turning brown. They started getting a little bit brittle. I changed out the emitters so that they were getting more water, but then I wasn't sure if maybe the issue was they were getting more water and they needed less. So for somebody like me who uh, isn't so much of a green thumb, where can a person like me go to get more information, more help, maybe specific to my plant issues that I'm having? You got, you got any advice on where we can, uh, we can get that assistance? There's lots of resources out there available. One of the things I can tell you, you're going to have brown, yellow, or crisp leaves on almost any plant. And usually it's from the older growth on the plants, especially during the new growing seasons like right now. 
the older foliage is going to drop off as a new foliage comes out. And that's going to be typical of most all plants and trees and things. So I wouldn't be real upset about that happening. To make sure that a plant's healthy, you want to look for that new growth. And as long as it's putting out new growth, then that plant is healthy. So if you have a few brown leaves, yellow leaves, it's not going to be a major problem. Now, if you have a lot of them, then you do need some help. You need to either take a picture of it or bring a branch in, go into your local nursery, ask one of our uh, salespeople to see if they can identify what the problem is. But there are plenty of resources out there. You could go to our website at starnursery.com. We've got a lot of free information on different gardening topics. You've also got the Sunset Western Garden Book has a lot of great information in it. SNWA website has a lot of good information on it. The Cooperative Extension Service uh, and, of course, the uh, Springs Preserve as well. Okay, so the Water Authority encourages people to take out decorative grass, what we also call non-functional grass that doesn't serve any other purpose other than you're just mowing it, and replace it with a water-efficient landscape. And the Water Authority will pay a cash rebate up to $3 for every square foot of grass replaced with drip irrigated plants and trees. Dr. Q, one of the questions we often get is how do you protect an established tree when you're making that transition, when you're taking out your grass and your sprinkler system and you need to replace it with drip irrigation? How are trees impacted during a landscape conversion when you're changing out your sprinklers to drip irrigation? How do we protect them? That is a great question because we want to protect mature trees in the landscape. But if you don't supplement the water that is going to be lost by removal of grass, they are going to suffer stress because all of those tiny little roots that are up right underneath or mixing in with your lawn's roots have been used to that water for such a long time that that's what the tree is used to. So what you have to do is you have to figure out a way to supplement the water that is going to be removed by removing that grass. And the only way you're going to do that is to add more emitters in a larger range around where those roots are growing and use either drip emitters or you can use inline subterranean emitters as well. That's a must. You have to do that. Otherwise, it'll be a very short time after the lawn is removed that your tree is going to decline. And it's going to decline by suffering from not being able to get the water that it was getting before. You have to have a way to supplement that water and plan to do that at the same time as removing or right after you remove the lawn. If I may add something, we do have an insert that we have on our website as well, and it's put out by the Southern Nevada Arborist Group. This is a whole article that is called Protecting Established Trees During Lawn Removal, and it goes into great detail about how to protect these trees during the lawn conversion. And we're learning very quickly that the trees do everything that they can to survive. And we may not see the trees struggle for about two to five years after the conversion. There's a difference between keeping a tree vigorous and also just having a tree sustain itself. If you are in a situation that you have a tree that is older, that is on the cusp, um, or it's been struggling for years, 
during that conversion, it might be time to make the decision to remove the tree. If it's in doubt and it's been there a long time and it's a tree that's no longer considered viable here, that would be the right thing to do, which is to remove the tree. But replace it. Replace it with something conducive to our environment. I'm glad you brought that up, Joey Lynn. What you referenced there, starnursery.com, the green pages. There's a wonderful article there from the Southern Nevada Arborist Group talking about how to protect your trees as you do your landscape conversion. I appreciate you really emphasizing the fact that trees continue to be important in our community, providing that shade. All of the shade that we can have here in Southern Nevada is helping to minimize that heat island effect. Well, Joey Lynn and Dr. Q from Star Nursery, thank you so much for joining us here on the Water Smarts podcast. We really enjoyed having you and really appreciate you sharing such great information with all of our listeners. We had so much more to cover, so we're going to have to have you back on. Great. We're uh, willing to come back on anytime you want us. The Water Smarts podcast is brought to you by the Southern Nevada Water Authority, which reminds you to follow the mandatory seasonal watering restrictions. You can find your assigned watering days on snwa.com. You also can find landscape tips and rebate coupons to help you save water and save money, like our rebate coupon for a Water Smart Irrigation Controller. That's right, Crystal. Smart irrigation controllers can automatically adjust watering in accordance with the weather. And many of those devices also provide convenient access via your mobile device. So you can go ahead and change your sprinkler clock from your phone from the comfort of your couch without having to be an expert in sprinkler clocks. Just pull out your mobile phone or your tablet and set that clock. Smart controllers also automatically can turn off your irrigation system when it rains. Our community can save almost 100 million gallons of water a day when everyone shuts off their irrigation system on rainy days. To get your rebate coupon for up to $100 off the purchase price, go to snwa.com. The website has a list of qualifying products and retailers where you can find these smart clocks. It's time to get smart about landscape irrigation by investing in a smart clock. So, Crystal. Lots of conversation there about plants and trees. I think that is really, really helpful, especially when you consider everybody in Southern Nevada that lives here, and especially if you are a homeowner or a property owner, you've made the investment in your plants, in your landscape, so you want to keep them healthy. Yeah, and I've been fortunate, as I said earlier in the podcast, to work with Dr. Q and Joey Lynn on videos talking about everything, seasonal landscaping, seasonal watering all the tips that they have. They're so, so knowledgeable about landscaping here in the desert. And believe it or not, they, on top of everything else they do, they'll do hundreds of house calls a year, going to people's homes and helping them with, you know, hey, my tree is dying and I can't figure out why, or why do I have these caterpillars hanging out on my plant? They'll go out and help you, which to me just really says there's a lot of people here that really want to know this information. Yeah, you know, again, like we said, the desert gardening can be uh, can be a little bit tricky, but with all of the resources available here in Southern Nevada, all of the experts, 
all of the folks at Star Nursery. There's so much help here to uh, ensure that we can all maintain healthy landscapes, and that's healthy landscapes without grass. Don't forget, grass uses 10 feet of water every single year in order to survive the Mojave, but your trees and your plants use less than three feet of water. That is why we are encouraging water-smart landscaping over grass, $3 a square foot. If you convert that grass, go to snwa.com. Well, that's it for this episode here of the Water Smarts Podcast. We hope that you will subscribe and listen next time. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a comment. It does absolutely help. And if you have any questions that you would like to have us answer or a topic that you would like to hear about here on Water Smarts, you can reach out to us via email at watersmarts at snwa.com or you can visit our website at snwa.com fill out a contact form what do you want to know what questions do you have we'll take them on right here on the water smarts podcast we'll see you next time here on water smarts